Hi, it's Dr. Chelsea. Today I'm going to answer questions sent in by the listeners. Building a community is one of my favorite aspects of my work. So if you've been listening since the beginning, or if you're brand new here, welcome to our village of passionate dancers and dance educators. Before I get into the episode, I want to share a quick listener shout out. Emily said, I love this podcast, practical, easy to apply tips in a condensed to the point package. Thank you for your service to the dance community. Dr. Chelsea As a newer coach. I love learning from you as I continue to grow and define my own coaching philosophy. Thank you so much, Emily. These reviews are not just about the algorithms and numbers to me, and I share it because I really do read them. I really do appreciate them. So if you are enjoying the show, please head over to Apple podcasts and let me know. Okay, so a few weeks ago, I asked this wonderful village of dance coaches and teachers to submit questions that I could share with you and answer on the show. So today I have three questions about sports psychology and dance straight from the community. And again, it's one of my favorite things about this job is to get to know and connect with fellow dance professionals and passionate coaches. So know that my inbox is always open. Send me a DM on Instagram. Tell me what's on your mind so that I can better support you and connect with everyone in our village. Okay, let's get to it. Welcome to the Passion for Dance podcast. I'm Dr. Chelsea, a former professional dancer and dance team coach turned sports psychologist. This podcast focuses on four main pillars, motivation, resilience, mindset, and community. Each week, you'll learn actionable strategies, mindsets, and tips to teach your dancers more than good technique. This is a podcast where we can all make a lasting impact and share our passion for dance. Let's do this. This first question is from Jenny. She said, how do I keep motivated towards the end of the season? Oh, don't we all feel that? Have you ever had that practice where you just want to throw in the towel and say, forget it. I've been working so hard for you and you all just don't care. It can be really infuriating and even defeating at times. Uh, So I hope you know that even the most self-motivated teachers and dancers have off days. That's to be expected, totally normal. However, there are things you can do to make sure that you have that motivational climate in class, and that's what increases motivation. So trying to motivate your dancers is really about creating a climate in practices and in your classes that's going to help serve them. So even at the end of the year, when things get really tough or everybody's tired, and this is one of the longest seasons ever, that it's the, it's about the climate that can help you uh, motivate your dancers. So let's dive into this. How do you achieve this kind of ideal motivational climate? Well, one of the research proven ways to increase what we call intrinsic motivation, motivation that comes from within, right? We want to have dancers who just want to be there, right? That's the goal. That's the ideal. And creating a climate that encourages that intrinsic motivation is the ideal. And research shows us that that comes in six steps. And many sports psychology consultants use the acronym TARGET to remember all of the areas that you can use to improve your dancer's motivation. So here's a brief rundown of the TARGET method for increasing motivation. And of course this works all year long, but if you're struggling at the end of the season, see if some of these might help kind of spice things up, change it up a little bit, insert that boost of motivation that you need to finish strong. So the T in target stands for task. This means you want to use tasks or exercises during practice that focus on an overall learning environment. You want to create the understanding that your focus is on personal improvement and growth and not necessarily on a perfect outcome every time. 
So think about everything you might do in a class. As much as possible, every task, your warm-up, drills you might be doing, across the floors, cleaning, running competition routines, all of those things should be purposeful, challenging, and include variety from day to day. So have you been doing pretty much the same warm-up or using even the same playlist all season? Like, just change it up. We all get in a rut. It, it happens. We all have a lot on our plate. But, uh, you know, doing little things to change that up and uh, give you some variety in the tasks, maybe different strength training drills uh, could really help. Shout out to my girl Katie at dancerfitness.com and check out her work in episode 10 if you need new drills and conditioning because everybody's stuck in a rut and doing the same thing. So the T in target is for task. Just add a little variety, change things up. That can really help. The A in target stands for authority. So there is a lot of research on leadership styles in sport and in dance and the effectiveness of each style. But to summarize a few decades worth of research, if that's even possible, a democratic leadership style is hands down the most effective leadership style. If you are truly working towards a more motivational climate with the focus on the process and not just the outcome, then you want to adopt this democratic authority. And that means your your dancers and your studio or your team is a place where everyone's voice can be heard. And yes, there may be some hierarchy with captains and leaders or older dancers, you know, the elite company members, and it's their job to help facilitate and spread decision-making. So you know, offer choice, include them on in some of the decisions, you know, in a democratic leadership style, the coach or the teacher is in charge and has final say, not saying that you can't make decisions for yourself, but a democratic leader cares about what the other dancers think and maybe asking for votes when appropriate, just listening to concerns and addressing them. And of course, there's always a balance to this, you know, the age and level of your dancers will play into it. So I'm not saying the team is in charge or the coach should ask for everyone's opinion about everything. So it, that's not the idea. It's more that you're offering some opportunities for authority where, where it's relevant and helpful for dancers. And also just, you know, just listening to them, offering them a chance to share their thoughts and opinions. So focusing back on motivation, if you're looking to improve motivation, authority should be democratic and divided among more than one individual, if that's possible. And specific to the end of the season, back to the earlier question, ask the team for their opinion, offer some new choices that they might not be used to. It can be little things about choices, about music, about the order in which you run your competition routines. You know, when I was at the studio and I had, I think 18 routines my senior year in rehearsals, we always went from like solos up through the lines. And sometimes I was like, can we just go backwards and do the lines first and go down? You know, it, something like that, just a simple question to your dancers to vote on which style you want to do first. If you're going to run them all anyway, but give them an opportunity to have an opinion. The R in target stands for recognition. And that simply refers to finding opportunities, both big and small to recognize your athletes when they are doing well. And there are lots of options here, but think about what works for your level of athlete. And it's also a balancing act. You don't want to reward for every little tiny thing. So it loses the excitement or the appeal. It has to be truly earned and valued in order for it to work. The general principle in research with athletes is that when they feel recognized and rewarded, they'll be more likely to persist in their efforts and work harder for you at practice and in class. Offering small extrinsic rewards in the form of recognition and praise can help drive athletes to give their best at every practice. 
Next up in target, the G is all about group. So grouping your athletes in strategic ways so that you can improve their self-motivation. I think we use groups as dance educators kind of naturally all the time, maybe across the floor groups, strength and conditioning groups, running the routines in different groups, team bonding events, you know, roommates when you travel, transportation. There's lots of opportunities where you have your dancers in different groups, right? Maybe it's a small, you know, a small subset of the larger company that has certain routines. We group them all the time, but you may not always think about how you're grouping them and that's okay. But if you are strategic about it, you can use groups to your advantage to increase motivation. So think about class, like do you ever say, okay, pick a partner, right? I definitely would say that all the time. Stretching in class, pick a partner. Cleaning a small section, pick a partner. Going over choreography, pick a partner. And I think it's in our everyday vocabulary, but next time you start to tell your dancers to pair off, think about offering parameters and guidelines of who they should pair with could be based on age, personality, skill in a specific area, teaching style, their friends, people they don't know, you know, strive to mix things up regularly, especially going back to the original question about the end of the season motivation. We all get in a rut. We all get in kind of a pattern of doing the same things over and over again. So use groups to mix it up, change the partners around, ask them to be with someone they haven't worked with yet this week. Ask them to pair with someone not from their same grade or same class. You can even tell them to pair with someone that has a birthday in the same month as them and just randomize it. As long as you are mixing it up so that your dancers are all working together in different pairs, small groups, you know, shake it up a little bit. They will always get to know each other better. They will watch each other. They will comment and help each other. And ultimately they start pushing each other. So you can see an increase in motivation. The E in target stands for evaluation. So in conjunction with proper goal setting techniques, when you incorporate good evaluation strategies into your training, athletes are more motivated to push for those goals. So in order to stay on track with uh, focused on motivational climate conversation today, you don't want to do any evaluation strategies that allow athletes to directly compare themselves to teammates. And as dancers, that comes a little easier because we don't really have individual stats like other sports do. But with comparing dancers to each other, you know, or ranking them in some way, you can, you don't want them to track their progress against each other. You want it to be individual. And, you know, it, when goal setting is done right, it's always includes some sort of evaluation process and not just at the end, but many times along the way. So if you're finding that your dancers are losing motivation at the end of the season, uh, check in on those goals that you maybe have talked about months ago. Are you making progress? Have you stagnated? Have you maybe surpassed your goal and it's time to reevaluate and up your game, right? Without evaluations, goals are just stated at the beginning of the season and then left alone and we all forget about them and move on. But goals aren't achieved just because you had some great meeting at the beginning of the year. They are only achieved when you monitor progress, talk about setbacks and achievements, adjust your goals along the way and stay consistent. So at the end of the season, this could be a refresher that they need. Did they set goals at the beginning? You know, how is it going? Is it time to adjust? Have you not even talked about it? And maybe we need to focus in on what our goals are if you're headed towards a big audition or a national championship or something coming up in the summer. This episode is brought to you by the Dance Coach Membership Releve, a community for dance coaches on the rise. This community is designed to help you create a team of committed, hardworking dancers that are a pleasure to coach every day. I've learned a lot about coaching other coaches over the years, and one thing I know is we need clear action plans that are easy to implement and a support network around us. 
So I created a membership to help all the dance coaches out there who want to rise up and make a difference on their team. Head over to passionatecoach.com membership to learn more about how to join us inside this dance coach membership, where you will get the support and guidance to find a new level of joy and success in coaching. That's passionatecoach.com membership. For the last strategy in Target, we focus on that second T for time. How you plan and organize your time can influence how time is spent in class, which impacts how motivated your athletes feel. The workload that you put on your athletes and the pace at which you work can either keep them motivated and push forward or drown them in feelings of overwhelm and stress and making burnout at the end of the season more likely. So think about the pace of things in class. Are you trying to get too much done and cramming it all in at the end? That can be too stressful. So trying to keep that pace steady and consistent without getting overwhelming. And Even better, you can include your athletes in some of the planning. You can combine authority and time together, talk to them about your plan for cleaning, your competitions routines, make sure they're on board and understand the big picture. And that way they know the goals, they know the plan to get there, and they understand the timeline for when it all needs to happen. So as a reminder with these, the target approach to motivation, it's about task, authority, recognition, groups, evaluation, and time. And of course you won't address everything all at once. And this question, I kind of went off (laughs) from the idea of motivation at the end of the season. But if you're struggling at the end of the season, pick one of these or two of them and try to add it into your class or your practice schedule. And just that one little addition could give you that spark that you need to really be able to push through the end of the season. Okay. Question two from Emily. How do I make my dancers believe in themselves the way I do? This is beautiful and I love that you asked it. We as dance educators usually believe in our dancers more than they believe in themselves. In psychology, we call that self-efficacy. It's the belief that you are capable of achieving that task in front of you. So self-efficacy is similar to self-confidence and it's related to your expectations for future success. People with high self-efficacy expect future success. They believe I will be able to do this task right in front of me. It's the dancer standing in the wings, ready to take the stage, high self-efficacy. I believe I am capable of doing what I need to do when I step out there, right? Self-efficacy is specific to one context or one skill rather than like broad self-confidence. It's narrow one skill like public speaking or studying or dancing, or even within dance, maybe specific genres that you feel comfortable with certain types of scenarios within dance where you feel more confident. Self-efficacy is really powerful and research shows that people with high levels of self-efficacy set higher goals. They're more committed to those goals. They're not satisfied until they get there. And ultimately a mentally tough athlete has high self-efficacy and won't shy from a challenge. She will face a new challenge with confidence and her ability to do it. And often isn't even capable of quitting, right? They're going to follow through. So people with high self-efficacy feel like events are under their control. They believe they're capable of executing the skill necessary for whatever that goal is. So when faced with a challenging new skill, an athlete with high self-efficacy will usually embrace the challenge. So think about when you're trying to introduce a new skill to your dancers, you, you know, bring out, try a new jump, try a new leap, try a particularly challenging combo, um, encourage them to do improv if that's not normal for them. Like you're challenging them in some way. Self-efficacy is going to determine how they respond to that challenge. And it's not about specific skills or abilities. It's not fixed like that. Some dancers are just going to be good at it and some are not. 
even the most talented athletes can have low self-efficacy. And that's usually why it's really frustrating for us as the teachers when we say, why don't they believe in themselves the way I do? I can see it. They are stunning. They are beautiful. They're prepared. They're so athletic and powerful and they're ready and they don't see it the way I do. And we get really frustrated. You know, I was like, I have no doubt you can do it. If you would just go for it, you'd be fine. Right. And they don't believe in themselves. The problem is it's not about you as the educator, it's not about your perception of the dancer's ability. It's all the athlete's perception. Maybe they don't believe they can do it. If two dancers have the same skill set and are ready to perform in the same situation, they're not likely to have the same performance outcome, right? You can have equally talented dancers in exactly the same scenario. Some are going to nail it and achieve what they wanted, and some are going to struggle, and some may have a, you know, make mistakes and not perform at their best they're not likely to have that same performance outcome largely because of their self-efficacy beliefs. Dr. Albert Bandura, who is the kind of pioneer of these self-efficacy beliefs said, skills can be easily overruled by self-doubts. I think that's what we see a lot as educators. They may have all the skill in the world and then they go out to actually perform or compete and those self-doubts take over. So, Back to the question, how do you increase the dancer's self-efficacy so they believe in themselves? Well, there are a few sources of self-efficacy. One is accomplishment, right? Of course, if you do win or you get great feedback from judges, you feel more confident. So, you know, it's a, it doesn't always help because that's kind of a catch-22. Like you have to do well in order to believe in yourself, but you have to believe in yourself in order to do well. It doesn't always work that way. So accomplishments help, but that's that may not, that's not in your control. It may not be something you can automatically provide for your dancers. So as a teacher, another source of self-efficacy is called verbal persuasion. It's exactly what it sounds like. It's you trying to use your words to persuade them that they are in fact capable, basically telling your dancers that you believe in them. And it sounds silly and simple, but if your dancers trust you, hearing it from you over and over and over, it will help increase their confidence and their self-efficacy. Uh, for me, the last words I ever say to my dancers before they take a competition floor is I believe in you. It's my last reminder. I've said it over and over again. It's not, you got this. It's not have fun. Like I may believe all those things, but the last words I want them to hear is I believe in you. There are other sources that I could probably organize a whole uh, episode around this someday, but for now, just please hear me when I say that just simply telling your dancers over and over that you believe in them helps them believe in themselves. Honest communication, clear feedback, praising their effort along the way, and say, I believe in you. Okay, last question for today from Quincy, how to break the mindset barrier between being a dancer and then now being a coach or a teacher. So for example, trying to teach dancers things that I could never do when I was a dancer. This is such a common issue. A lot of us teach things we couldn't do when we danced, right? The industry moves so fast. There are a lot of things that my dancers can execute skill-wise that I would never be able to do, right? So first know that's common and it's okay if you as the teacher now are, are not capable of doing some of these skills or, you know, the, the industry has just advanced so far, you know, you don't have to be able to perfectly execute a skill in order to coach it necessarily. So I'm reminded of coach Val at UCLA gymnastics. She took over the head coach job of this large university, you know, elite gymnastics program 
after being their dance coach. She came from the dance world, started coaching being as their kind of dance coach for the floor routines. And she didn't actually know anything about gymnastics, but they said, you're just a good coach. Like we can see how you interact with the athletes. We want you as the head coach. And again, it works because you're coaching your athletes on life skills. You're teaching your dancers at the studio about life skills. That's what matters. If they get to a level that they are working on skills that you don't know how to teach, you find your resources, find an expert in that area, go to conferences or attend online trainings. You know, you do the work to make sure they are getting training, especially if it's a safety issue, whether that be from you or another expert, you can bring those people in. This happened to me for sure that I have my own ballet background and then my team started to want, they wanted to compete in hip hop. And that was not an area of expertise for me. And so I had to do a lot of research. I said, okay, this is what's right for my dancers. They're excited. I had to do my own education on the field, understand the background, understand where it's coming from, understand the different styles, and then bring in choreographers and experts and other people who could help train the athletes in the areas that I was not as capable of but I'm, I could still be a strong teacher for them. I could still be the right coach for them because it's about their approach to learning that matters. I can bring in the expert to teach you the specific skill, but I'm going to coach you on how to be the good learner, how to be the best, you know, uh, dancer in class and absorb all this information that someone else might need to get, might be the best to teach you. So as for mindset around this, Remember that coaching and teaching is about reaching the athlete as a person. It's not all about skills. We are just using these dance skills as a method to reach the goal, but you don't have to be able to teach everything. In fact, I don't think anybody can teach everything, right? Find your village to support you. You can kind of stay in your lane with your skill and expertise and teach those areas, find other experts and resources to support other areas. But remember that you are teaching them to be better humans and stronger learners and that it's not, you don't have to be able to teach all the things. Okay. If you enjoyed this episode and having a chance to chat with the community and uh, share your questions, please, you know, share this episode with someone in our dance community. The best way for me to reach more people in the dance world is when people hear about it from someone they trust. So please share away and remember my inbox is always open. Send me an email or DM on Instagram. Ask me all the things. I would love to continue to do episodes like this and sharing uh, and answering your questions. So thank you for listening and keep sharing your passion for dance with the world. Bye.